0: Hi, hello, and welcome to Kraken's cabin. It is a stormy night out there, my friend. Definitely made a wise choice in lighting the fire in this library. I hadn't even noticed it get in dark. I think I'm gonna light these candles. There, a little bit better. I love my uncle's portrait above that fireplace, but when it gets dark, it feels kind of more ominous. The shadows under his eyes grow thicker. Those laughter lines make his eyes feel like they're more judgmental than I'm sure the artist intended. Anyway, it'll be Christmas soon, so in the morning I was thinking why don't we go out into the glades and find a tree to bring back. The smell of pine and bark would freshen the corners of this cabin and I'm pretty sure we're going to find decorations in the attic space. We can put on some vinyl records in the music room and earn a hot chocolate when we're done. What do you say? Excellent. <laughs> this is going to be my first Christmas in here, so I want to do it right. Thank you for agreeing to spend some of your time here with me. I know that between friends and family and the demands of the season, you become aware just how quickly a month can come and go. So, please, just make sure you do what's right for you, okay? Obligations can be exhausting and we're in the fun of it all. This evening I was hoping we could finish Through the Looking Glass So please make yourself comfortable When you're ready Then we'll begin Through the Looking Glass By Lewis Carroll Chapter 6 Humpty Dumpty However The egg only got larger And larger and more and more Human. When she'd come within a few Yards of it she saw that it had eyes And a nose and mouth when she had come close to it, she saw clearly that it was Humpty Dumpty himself. It can't be anybody else, she said to herself. I'm as certain of it, as if his name was written all over his face. It might have been written a hundred times, easily, on that enormous face. Humpty Dumpty was sitting, with his legs crossed like a turk, on top of a high wall. Such a narrow one that Alice quite wondered how he could keep his balance. And as his eyes were steadily fixed in the opposite direction and he didn't take the least notice of her. She thought he must be a stuffed figure after all. And how exactly like an egg he is, she said aloud, standing with her hands ready to catch him, for she was at this very moment expecting him to fall. It's very provoking, Humpty Dumpty said after a long silence, looking away from Alice as he spoke. To be called an egg. Very. Very. I said you'd like an egg, sir, Alice gently explained. And some eggs are very pretty, you know, she added, hoping to turn her remark into some sort of a compliment. Some people, said Humpty Dumpty, looking away from her as usual, have no more sense than a baby. Alice didn't know what to say to this. It wasn't at all like a conversation, she thought, as he never said anything to her. In fact... His last remark was evidently addressed to a tree. So she stood and softly repeated to herself. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty in his place again. That last line is much too long for the poetry, she added, almost aloud, forgetting that Humpty Dumpty would hear it. Don't stand chattering to yourself like that, Humpty Dumpty said, looking at her for the first time. But tell me your name and your business. My name is Alice, but it's a stupid name enough, Humpty Dumpty interrupted impatiently. And what does it mean? Must a name mean something, Alice asked doubtfully. Of course it must, Humpty Dumpty said with a short laugh. My name means the shape I am. And a good handsome shape it is too. With a name like yours, you might be any shape, almost. Why do you sit out here all alone? said Alice, not wishing to begin an argument. Why? Because there's nobody with me, cried Humpty Dumpty. Did you think I didn't know the answer to that? Ask another. Don't you think you'd be safer down on the ground? Alice went on, not with any idea of making another riddle, but simply in her good natured anxiety for the queer creature. That wall is so very narrow. What tremendously easy riddles, you ask, Humpty Dumpty growled out. Of course I don't think so. Why, if I ever did fall off, which there's no chance of, but if I did... Here, he pursed his lips, and looked so solemn and grand that Alice could hardly help laughing. If I did fall, he went on, the king has promised me. Ah, you may turn pale if you like. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? The king has promised me, with his very own mouth, to... to... send all his horses and all his men? Alice interrupted rather unwisely. Now I do declare that's too bad, Humpty Dumpty cried, breaking into a sudden passion. You've been listening at doors, and behind trees, and down chimneys, or you couldn't have known it. I haven't, Indeed. Alice said very gently. It's in a book. Ah, well, they may write such things in a book, Humpty Dumpty said in a calmer tone. That's what you call a history of England, that is. Now, take a good look at me. I'm one that has spoken to a king. Me, I am. Mayhap you'll never see another. And, to show you I'm not proud, you may shake my hand. And he grinned almost from ear to ear, as he leant forwards, and as nearly as possible fell off the wall in doing so, and offered Alice his hand. She watched him a little anxiously, as she shook it. If he smiled much more, the ends of his mouth might meet behind, she thought, and then I don't know what would happen to his head. I'm afraid it would come off. Yes, all his horses and all his men, Humpty Dumpty went on. They'd pick me up again in no time. They would. However, this conversation is going on a little fast. Let's go back to the last remark but one. Uh, I'm afraid I can't quite remember it, Alice said very politely. Well, in that case, we start afresh, said Humpty Dumpty. And it's my turn to choose the subject. Talks about it as if it was just a game, thought Alice. So, here's a question for you. How old did you say you were? Alice made a short calculation and said, Seven years and six months. Wrong, Humpty Dumpty exclaimed triumphantly. You never said a word like that. I thought you meant how old are you, Alice explained. If I'd meant that, I'd have said it, said Humpty Dumpty. Alice didn't want to begin another argument, so she said nothing. Seven years and six months, Humpty Dumpty repeated thoughtfully. An uncomfortable sort of age. Now, if you had asked my advice... I'd have said, leave off at seven, but it's too late now. I never ask advice about growing, Alice said indignantly. Too proud, the other inquired. Alice felt even more indignant at this suggestion. I mean, she said, that one can't help but grow older. One can't, perhaps, said Humpty Dumpty, but two With proper assistance, he might have left off at seven. What a beautiful belt you've got on, Alice suddenly remarked, though they'd had quite enough of the subject of age, she thought, and if they really were to take turns in choosing subjects, it was her turn now. At least, she corrected herself on second thought, a beautiful cravat, I should have said. No, a belt, I mean. I beg your pardon, she added in dismay, for Humpty Dumpty looked thoroughly offended, and she began to wish she hadn't chosen this subject. If only I knew, she thought to herself which was neck and which was waist. Evidently Humpty Dumpty was very angry, though he said nothing for a minute or two. When he did speak again, it was in a deep growl. It is a most provoking thing, he said at last, when a person doesn't know the difference between a cravat from a belt. I know, it's very ignorant of me, Alice said. In so humble a tone that Humpty Dumpty relented. "'It's a cravat, child, and a beautiful one, as you say. "'It's a present from the White King and Queen. "'There now.' "'Is it really?' said Alice, "'quite pleased to find she had chosen a good subject after all.' "'They gave it to me,' Humpty Dumpty continued thoughtfully, "'as he crossed one knee over the other and clasped his hands round it. "'They gave it to me for an unbirthday present.' "'I beg your pardon,' Alice said with a puzzled air. I'm not offended, said Humpty Dumpty. I mean, what is an unbirthday present? Well, it's a present given when it isn't your birthday, of course. Alice considered a little. I like birthday presents best, she said at last. You don't know what you're talking about, cried Humpty Dumpty. How many days are there in a year? 365, said Alice. How many birthdays have you? One. Well, if you take one from 365, what remains? 364, of course. Humpty Dumpty looked doubtful. I'd rather see that done on paper, he said. Alice couldn't help smiling as she took out her memorandum book and worked out the sum for him. Humpty Dumpty took the book from her and looked at it carefully. That seems to be done right, he began. Well, you're holding it upside down, Alice interrupted. To be sure, I was, Humpty Dumpty said gaily. As he turned it round, I thought it looked a little queer. As I was saying, that seems to be done right, though I haven't time to look at it over thoroughly just now, and that shows there are 364 days where you might get an unbirthday present. Certainly, said Alice, but only one for birthday presents. There's glory for you. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't. Till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty replied, in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean. neither more or less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be the master, that's all. Alice was much too puzzled to say anything, so after a minute Humpty Dumpty began again. They have a temper, some of them, particularly verbs, they're the proudest. Adjectives you can do anything with, but not verbs. However, I can manage the whole lot of them. Impenetrability. that's what I say. Would you tell me, please, said Alice. What does that mean? Now you talk like a reasonable child, said Humpty Dumpty, looking very much pleased. I meant by impenetrability that we've had enough of that subject, and it would be just as well if you'd mention what you mean to do next, as I suppose you don't mean to stop here all the rest of your life. It's a great deal to make one word mean, Alice said in a thoughtful tone. When I make a word do a lot of work like that, I always pay it extra, said Humpty Dumpty. "'Oh,' said Alice. She was much too puzzled to make any other remark. "'Ah, you should see him come round to me on a Saturday night,' Humpty dumpty went on, wagging his head gravely from side to side. "'For to get all wages, you know?' Alice didn't venture to ask what he paid them with, and so you see I can't tell you. "'You seem very clever at explaining words, sir,' said Alice. "'Would you kindly explain the meaning of the poem called Jabberwocky?' Let's hear it, said Humpty Dumpty. I can explain all the poems that were ever invented, and a good many that haven't been invented just yet. This sounded very hopeful, so Alice repeated the first verse. Twas brillig and slithy toes, the gyre and gimble in the wave. all whimsy were the borough goes, and the moaned race outgrabe." That's enough to begin with, Humpty Dumpty interrupted. There are plenty of hard words there. Brillig means four o'clock in the afternoon, the time when you begin broiling things for dinner. That'll do very well, said Alice. And slithy? Well, slithy means lithe and slimy. Lithe is the same as active, you see, so it's like a portmanteau. There are two meanings packed up into one word. I see it now, Alice remarked thoughtfully. And what are the toves? Well, toves are something like badgers. They're something like lizards. And there's something like corkscrews. They must be very curious-looking creatures. They are that, said Humpty Dumpty. Also, they make their own nests under sundials. And they live on cheese. And what's the gyre and a gimbal? Well, the gyre is to go round and round like a gyroscope. And the gimbal is to make holes in a giblet. And the weight is the grass plot round the sundial, I suppose said Alice, surprised at her own ingenuity. Of course it is. It's called the weeb, you know, because it goes a long way before it and a long way behind it. And a long way beyond it on each side, Alice added. Exactly so. Well then, Mimsy is flimsy and miserable. There's another portmanteau for you. And a borogrove is a thin, shabby-looking bird with its feathers sticking out all round. Something like a live mop. And then Mulrace said alice i'm afraid i'm giving you a great deal of trouble well a wraith is a sort of green pig but moan i'm not certain about that i think it's short for from home meaning that they would lost their way you know and what does outgrabe mean well outgribing is something between bellowing and whistling the kind of sneeze in the middle however you'll hear it done maybe down in the wood yonder And when you've once heard it, you'll be quite content. Who's been repeating all this hard stuff to you? I read it in a book, said Alice. But I had some poetry repeated to me much easier than that. By Twiddledee, I think it was. As to poetry, you know, said Humpty Dumpty, stretching out one of his great hands, I can repeat poetry as well as other folk, if it comes to that. Oh, it needn't come to that, Alice hastily remarked, hoping to keep him from beginning. Piece I'm going to repeat, he went on without noticing her remark, was written entirely for your amusement. Alice felt that in that case she really ought to listen to it, so she sat down and said thank you, rather sadly. In winter, when the fields are white, I sing the song for your delight. Only I don't sing it, he added as an explanation. I see you don't, said Alice. If you can see whether I'm singing or not, you've sharper eyes than most. Humpty Dumpty remarked severely Alice was silent In spring, when woods are getting green I'll try and tell you what I mean Thank you very much, said Alice In summer, when the days are long Perhaps you'll understand the song. In autumn, when the leaves are brown Take pen and ink and write it down I will, if I can remember it so long, said Alice You needn't go making remarks like that, Humpty Dumpty said They're not sensible and they put me out I sent a message to the fish. I told them this is what I wish. The little fishes of the sea, they sent an answer back to me. The little fishes' answer was, We cannot do it, sir, because... I'm afraid I don't quite understand, said Alice. It gets easier further on, Humpty Dumpty replied. I sent to them again to say, It will be better to obey. The fishes answered with a grin, My, what a temper you are in. I told them once, I told them twice, they would not listen to advice. I took a kettle, large and new, fit for the deed I had to do. My heart went hot, my heart went thump. I filled the kettle at the pump. Then someone came to me and said, the little fishies are in bed. I said to him, I said a plain then you must wake them up again. Said a very loud and clear, I went and shouted in his ear. Humpty Dumpty raised his voice, almost to a scream as he repeated this verse. And Alice thought with a shudder, I wouldn't have been this messenger for anything. But he was very stiff and proud. He said he needn't shout so loud. And he was very proud and stiff. He said I'd go and wake them if. I took a corkscrew from the shelf. I went to wake them up myself. Well when I found the door was locked, I pulled and pushed and kicked and knocked. And when I found the door was shut, I turned the handle, but... There was a long pause. Is that all? Alice timidly asked. That's all, said Humpty Dumpty. Goodbye. This was rather sudden, Alice thought. But after such a very strong hint that she ought to be going, she felt that it would hardly be civil to stay. So she got up and held out her hand. Goodbye. Till we meet again, she said as cheerfully as she could. I shouldn't know you again if we didn't meet, Humpty Dumpty replied in a disconcerted tone, giving her one of his fingers to shake. You're so exactly like every other person. The face is the one that most of us go by, generally, Alice remarked in a thoughtful tone. That's just what I complain of," said Humpty Dumpty. Your face is the same as everybody else. The two eyes, so... Marking their places in the air with his thumb. Your nose in the middle, the mouth under. It's always the same. Now, if you had the two eyes on the same side of the nose, for instance, or the mouth at the top, that would be of some help. It wouldn't look nice, though, Alice objected. But Humpty Dumpty only shut his eyes and said, Wait until you've tried. Alice waited a minute to see if he would speak again, but as he never opened his eyes or took any further notice of her, she said goodbye once more. And getting no answer to this, she quietly walked away. But she couldn't help herself saying, as she went, Of all of the most unsatisfactory... She repeated this aloud, as if it was a great comfort to have such a long word to say. Of all of the unsatisfactory people I have ever met, she never finished the sentence, for at this moment a heavy crash shook the forest from end to end. Chapter 7 The Lion and the Unicorn The next moment soldiers came running through the wood, and first in twos and threes, then ten or twenty altogether, and alas in such crowds that they seemed to fill the whole forest. Alice got behind a tree, for fear of being run over, and watched them as they go by. She thought that in all of her life she had never seen soldiers so uncertain on their feet. They're always tripping over something or another, and when one went down, several more always fell over them, so that the ground was soon covered with little heaps of men. Then came the horses, having four feet. They managed rather better than the foot soldiers, but even they stumbled down then and it seemed to be a regular rule that, whenever a horse stumbled, the rider fell off instantly. Confusion got worse every moment, and Alice was very glad to get out of the wood in an open place, and she found the white king seated on the ground, busily writing in his memorandum book. "'I've sent them all,' king cried in a tone of delight, on seeing Alice. "'Did you happen to meet any soldiers, my dear, as you came through the wood?' "'Yes, I did,' said Alice. "'Several thousand, I should think.' 4,207 that's the exact number the king said referring to his book I couldn't send all the horses you know because two of them are wanted in the game and I haven't sent the two messengers either they've both gone to town just look along the road and tell me if you can see either of them I can see nobody on the road said Alice I only wish I had such eyes the king remarked in a fretful tone to be able to see nobody and at that distance too why, it's as much as I can do to see real people by this light all of this was lost on Alice who was still looking intently along the road shading her eyes with one hand oh, I can see somebody now she exclaimed at last but he's coming very slowly what curious attitudes he goes to for the messenger kept skipping up and down and wriggling like an eel as he came along with his great hands spread out like fans on each side not at all, said the king he's an anglo-saxon messenger and there are anglo-saxon attitudes he only does them when he's happy his name is hair he pronounces so as to rhyme it with mayor i love my love with an H. alice couldn't help beginning because he is happy i hate him with a H because he is hideous i fed him with 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 ham sandwiches and hay his name is hair and he lives he lives on the hill the king remarked simply, without the least idea that he was joining in the game, while Alice was still hesitating for the name of the town beginning with H. The other messengers called Hadda. I must have two, you know, one to come and one to go. I beg your pardon, said Alice. It is isn't respectable to beg, said the king. No, I only meant I didn't understand, said Alice. Why one to come and one to go? Don't I tell you, the king repeated impatiently, must have two, to fetch and to carry, one to fetch, one to carry. At this moment, the messenger arrived. He was far too much out of breath to say a word and could only wave his hands about and made the most fearful faces at the king. This young lady loves you with an H, the king said, introducing Alice in the hope of turning off the messenger's attention from himself. But it was of no use. The Anglo-Saxon attitudes only got more extraordinary every moment. While the great eyes rolled widely from side to side. You'll alarm me, said the king. I feel faint. Give me a ham sandwich. On which the messenger, to Alice's great amusement, opened a bag that hung around his neck and handed a sandwich to the king, who devoured it greatly. Another sandwich, said the king. There's nothing left but hay now, the messenger said, peeping into the bag. Hey then, the king murmured in a faint whisper. Alice was glad to see that it revived him a good deal. There's nothing like eating hay when you're faint, he remarked to her as he munched away. I should think throwing cold water over you would be better, Alice suggested, or some salve volatile. I didn't say there was nothing better, the king replied. I said there was nothing like it, which Alice did not venture to deny. Who did she pass on the road, the king went on, holding out his hand to the messenger for some more hay. "'Nobody,' said the messenger. "'Quite right,' said the king. "'This young lady saw him too, "'so of course nobody walks slower than you.' "'I do my best,' the messenger said in a sullen tone. "'I'm sure nobody walks much faster than I do.' "He can't do that,' said the king, "'or else he would have been here first. "'However, now that you've got your breath, "'you may tell us what's happened in the town.' "'I'll whisper it,' said the messenger, "'putting his hands to his mouth in the shape of a trumpet.' and scooping so as to get close to the king's ear. Alice was sorry for this, as she wanted to hear the news too. However, instead of whispering, he simply shouted, at the top of his voice, They're at it again! Do you call that a whisper? cried the poor king, jumping up and shaking himself. If you do such a thing again, I'll have you buttered. It went through and through my head like an earthquake. It would have to be a very tiny earthquake, thought Alice, here at it again she ventured to ask why the lion and the unicorn of course said the king fighting for the crown yes to be sure said the king and the best of the joke is that that's my crown all the while so let's run and see them and they trotted off alice repeating to herself as she ran the words of the old song. the lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown the lion beat the unicorn all around the town some gave them white bread, some gave them brown. Some gave them plum cake and drummed them out of town. Does the one that wins get the crowd? She asked as well as she could, for the run was quite putting her out of breath. Do me no? said the king. What an idea. Would you be good enough? Alice panted out after running a little further. Just stop a minute, just to get one's breath again. I'm good enough, the king said, only I'm not strong enough. You see, a minute goes by so fearfully quick, you might as well try to stop a snatch." Alice had no more breath for talking, so they trotted on in silence, till they came into sight of a great crowd, in the middle of which the lion and the unicorn were fighting. They were in such a cloud of dust that at first Alice could not make out which was which, but she soon managed to distinguish the unicorn by his horn. They placed themselves close to where Hadda, the other messenger, was standing watching the fight, with a cup of tea in one hand and a piece of bread and butter in the other. "'He's only just out of prison, and he hadn't finished his tea when he went in,' Haya said to Alice, "'and they only gave him oyster shells in there. So you see, he's very hungry and thirsty.' "'How are you, dear child?' he went on, putting his arm affectionately around Hadda's neck. Hada looked round and nodded and went on with his bread and butter." Were you happy in prison, dear child?" said Haya. Hada looked round once more, and this time a tear or two trickled down his cheek, but not a word would he say. "Speak, can't you?" Haya cried impatiently. But Hada munched away and drank some more tea. "Speak, won't you?" cried the King. "How are they getting on with the fight?" Hada made a desperate effort and swallowed a large piece of bread and butter. "They're getting on very well." he said in a choking voice. Each of them has been down 87 times. And I suppose they'll soon bring the white bread and the brown, Alice ventured to remark. It's waiting for them now, said Hada. This is a bit of it that I'm eating. There was a pause in the fight just then, and the lion and the unicorn sat down, panting, while the king called out, Ten minutes allowed for refreshments. Haya and Hada sent to work at once, carrying round trays of white and brown bread. Alice took a piece to taste, but it was very dry. I don't think they'll fight any more today, King said to Hada. Go and order the drums to begin. And Hada went bounding away like a grasshopper. For a moment or two, Alice stood silent, watching him. Suddenly she brightened up. Look, look, she cried, pointing eagerly. There's the white queen running across the country. She came flying out of the wood over yonder. How fast those queens can run. There's some enemy after her, no doubt, the king said, without even looking around. That wood's full of them. But aren't you going to run and help her? Alice asked, very much surprised at his taking it so quietly. No use, no use, said the king. She runs so fearfully quick, you might as well try to catch a bandersnatch. But I'll make a memorandum about her, if you like. She's a good dear creature, he repeated softly to himself as he opened his memorandum book. Do you spell creature with a double E? At this moment, the unicorn sauntered by them, with his hands on his pockets. At the best of it this time, he said to the king, just glancing around him as he passed. A little, a little, the king replied rather nervously. You shouldn't have run him through with your horn, you know. It didn't hurt him, the unicorn said carelessly, and he was going on when his eye happened to fall upon Alice. He turned round instantly and stood for some time looking at her with an air of the deepest disgust what is this he said at last this is a child hey replied eagerly coming in front of alice to introduce her and spreading out both his hands towards her in an anglo-saxon attitude we only found it today it's as large as life and twice as natural i always thought they were fabulous monsters said the unicorn is it alive it can talk hey solemnly replied the unicorn looked dreamily at Alice and said, Talk, child. Alice could not help her lips curling into a smile as she began. Do you know, I always thought unicorns were fabulous monsters. I never saw one alive before. Wow. Now that we have seen each other, said the unicorn, if you'll believe in me, I'll believe in you. Is that a bargain? Yes, if you like, said Alice. Come, fetch out the plum cake, old man. Unicorn went on, turning from her to the king. None of your brown bread for me. Certainly, certainly, the king muttered and beckoned to Haya. What about the bag, he whispered. Quick, that one, that's full of hay. Haya took out a large cake out of the bag and gave it to Alice to hold. While he got out a dish and carving knife. How they all came out of it, Alice couldn't guess. It was like a conjuring trick, she thought. The lion soon joined them while this was going on. He looked very tired and sleepy, and his eyes were half shut. What's this? he said, blinking lazily at Alice, and speaking in a deep, hollow tone that sounded like the tolling of a great bell. Ah, what is it now? the unicorn cried eagerly. You'll never guess. I couldn't. The lion looked at Alice wearily. Are you an animal? Or a vegetable? Or a mineral? he said, yawning at every other word. It's "'Fabulous, monster,' the unicorn cried out before Alice could reply. "'Then hand around the plum cake, monster,' the lion said, lying down and putting his chin on his paws. "'And sit down, both of you,' to the king and the unicorn. "'Fair play with the cake, you know?' The king was evidently very uncomfortable at having to sit down between two great creatures, but there was no other place for him. "'What a fight we might have had for the crown.' "'No,' the unicorn said.' Looking shyly up at the crown, which the poor king was nearly shaking off his head He trembled so much I should win easily, said the lion I'm not so sure of that, said the unicorn Why? I'd beat you all around the town, you chicken The lion replied angrily, half getting up as he spoke Here, the king interrupted to prevent the quarrel going on He was very nervous and his voice quite quavered All around the town, he said It's a good long way did you go by the old bridge, or the marketplace? You get the best view by the old bridge, actually. I'm sure I don't know, the lion growled as he lay down again. There was too much dust to see anything. What a time the monster is, cutting up that cake. Alice had seated herself on the back of a little brook, with the great dish on her knees, and was sawing diligently with the knife. It's very provoking, she said in reply to the lion. She was getting quite used to being called a monster. I've cut several slices already, but they always join on again. You don't know how to manage looking glass cakes, the unicorn remarked. Hand it round first, and then cut it afterwards. This sounded nonsense, but Alice very obediently got up and carried the dish round, and the cake divided itself into three pieces as she did so. Now cut it up, said the lion, as she returned to her place with the empty dish. I say... This isn't very fair, cried the unicorn, as Alice sat with the knife in her hand, very much puzzled how to begin. The monster's given the lion twice as much as me. She kept none for herself, anyhow, said the lion. Do you like plum cake, monster? But before Alice could answer him, the drums began. Where the noise came from, she couldn't make it out. The air seemed full of it, and rang through and through her head till she felt quite deafened. She started to her feet, and sprang across the little brook in her terror. And had just enough time to see the lion and the unicorn rising to their feet, with angry looks at being interrupted in their feast, before she dropped to her knees, with her hands over her ears, vainly trying to shut out the dreadful uproar. If that doesn't drum them out of town, she thought to herself, nothing ever will. CHAPTER eight It's my own invention. After a while, the noise seemed gradually to die away, until all was dead silence, and Alice lifted up her head to some alarm. There was no one to be seen, and her first thought was that she must have been dreaming about the lion and the unicorn and those queer Anglo-Saxon messengers. However, there was a great dish still lying at her feet, which she tried to cut the plum key. So, I wasn't dreaming after all, she said to herself. Unless... Unless we're all part of the same dream. Only... I do hope it's my dream, and not the Red King's. I don't like belonging to another person's dream," she went on in a rather complaining voice. I've a great mind to go and wake him and see what happens. At this moment her thoughts were interrupted by a loud shouting of, Ahoy! Ahoy! Check! And a knight, dressed in crimson armour, came galloping down towards her, brandishing a great club. Just as he reached her, the horse stopped suddenly. You're my prisoner. The knight cried as he stumbled off his horse. Startled as she was, Alice was more frightened for him than herself at the moment, and watched him with some anxiety as he mounted again. And as soon as he was comfortably in the saddle, he began once more, "You're my..." But here another voice broke in, "Ahoy! Ahoy! Check!" And Alice had grinned in some surprise to the new enemy. This time it was a white knight. He drew up at Alice's side and tumbled off his horse just as the red knight had done. Then he got on again, and the two knights sat and looked at each other for some time without speaking. Alice looked from one to the other in some bewilderment. "'She's my prisoner, you know,' the knight said at last. "'Yes, but then I've come to rescue her,' the white knight replied. "'Well, we must fight for her then,' said the red knight, as he took up his helmet, which hung from the saddle, and was something in the shape of a horse's head, and he put it on. "'You'll observe the rules of battle, of course,' The White Knight remarked, putting his helmet on. I always do, said the Red Knight, and they began banging away at each other with such fury that Alice got behind a tree to be out of the way of the blows. I wonder now the rules about Lar, she said to herself as she watched the fight, timidly peeping out from her hiding place. One rule seems to be that if one knight hits the other, he knocks him off his horse, and if he misses, he tumbles off himself. And another rule seems to be that they hold their clubs with their arms, as if they were punching Judy. What a noise they make when they tumble. Just like a whole set of fire irons falling off the fender. And how quiet those horses are. They let them get on and off, just as if they were tables. Another rule of battle, that Alice had not noticed, seemed to be that they were always fell on their heads. And the battle ended when both of them fell this way, side by side. When they got up again, they shook hands and then the Red Knight mounted and galloped off. "'It was a glorious victory, wasn't it?' said the White Knight, as he came up panting. "'I don't know,' Alice said doubtfully. "'I don't want to be anybody's prisoner. I want to be a queen.' "'So you will, when you've crossed the next brook,' said the White Knight. "'I'll see you safe to the end of the wood, and then I must go back, you know. That's the end of my move.' "'Thank you very much,' said Alice. "'May I help you off with your helmet?' It was evidently more than he could manage by himself. However, she managed to shake him out of it at last. Now, one can breathe more easily, said the knight, putting back his shaggy hair with both hands and turning his gentle face and large, wild eyes to Alice. She thought she had never seen such a strange-looking soldier in all of her life. He was dressed in tin armour, which seemed to fit him very badly, and he had a queer-shaped little deal box fastened across his shoulders, upside down with the lid hanging open. Alice looked at it with great curiosity. I see you're admiring my little box, the knight said in a friendly tone. It's my own invention, to keep clothes and sandwiches in. You see, I carry it upside down so that the rain can't get in. The things can get out, Alice gently remarked. Do you know the lid's open? I didn't know it, the knight said, a shade of vexation passing over his face. And all of the things must have fallen out. And the box is no use without them. He unfastened it as he spoke and was just going to throw it into the bushes when a sudden thought seemed to strike him, and he hung it carefully on a tree. Can you guess why I did that? He said to Alice. Alice shook her head. In hopes some bees may make a nest in it, then I should get honey. But you've got a beehive, or something like that, fastened to the saddle, said Alice. Yes, it's a very good beehive. The knight said in a disconsented tone. One of the best kinds, but not a single bee has come near it yet. And the other thing is a mouse trap. I suppose the mice keep the bees out, or the bees keep the mice out. I don't know which. I was wondering what the mouse trap was for, said Alice. It isn't very likely that there would be any mice on a horse's back. Not very likely, perhaps, said the knight, but if they do come, I don't choose to have them running all about. You see, he went on after a pause. It's as well to be provided for everything. That's the reason the horse has all these anklets around his feet. But what are they for? Alice asked in great curiosity. To guard against the bites of sharks, the knight replied. It's an invention of my own. And now, help me get on. I'll go with you to the end of the wood. What's that dish for? It's meant for plum cake, said Alice. We best take it with us, the knight said. It'll come in handy if we find any plum cake. Help me get it into this bag. It took a long time to manage, though Alice held the bag open very carefully because the night was so very awkward in putting it in. The first two or three times that he tried, he fell in himself instead. It's a rather tight fit, you see, he said as he got in at last. There's so many candlesticks in the bag. And he hung it to the saddle, which was already loaded with bunches of carrots and fire irons and many other things. I hope you've got your hair well fastened on. He continued, as they set off. Only in the usual way, Alice said, smiling. Well, that's hardly enough, he said anxiously. You see, the wind is so very strong here. It's strong as soup. Have you invented a plan for keeping the hair from being blown off, Alice remarked? Not yet, said the knight. But I've got a plan for keeping it from falling off. I should like to hear that very much. First, you take an upright stick, said the knight. Then you make your hair creep up it like a fruit tree now the reason her falls off is because it hangs down things never fall upwards you know it's a plan of my own invention you may try it if you like it didn't sound like a comfortable plan alice thought and for a few minutes she walked on in silence puzzling over the idea and every now and then stopping to help the poor knight who was certainly not a good rider whenever the horse stopped which it did very often he fell off the front whenever it went on again, which it generally did after, suddenly, he fell off behind. Otherwise, he kept on pretty well, except that he had a habit of now and then falling off sideways. As he generally did this on the side on which Alice was walking, she soon found herself that it was the best plan not to walk quite so close to the horse. I'm afraid you've not much had practice in riding, she ventured, to say, as she was helping him back up on his fifth tumble. The knight looked very much surprised and a little offended at the remark. "'What makes you say that?' he asked, as he scrambled back into the saddle, keeping hold of Alice's hair with one hand to save himself from falling over the other side. "'Because people don't fall off quite so often when they've had much practice.' "'I've had plenty of practice,' the knight said very gravely. "'Plenty of practice.' Alice could think of nothing better than to say than "'Indeed.' But she said it as hardly as she could. They went on a little way in silence at this, and the knight with his eyes shut, muttering to himself, and Alice was watching anxiously for the next tumble. The great art of riding," the knight suddenly began in a loud voice, waving his right arm as he spoke, is to keep... Here, the sentence ended as suddenly as it began, as the knight fell heavily on the top of his head, exactly in the path where Alice was walking. She was quite frightened this time, and said in an anxious tone, and she picked him up. I hope no bones are broken none to speak of the knight said as if he didn't mind breaking two or three of them the great art of riding as i was saying is is to keep your balance properly like this you know he let go of the bridle and stretched out both of his arms to show alice what he meant this time he fell flat on his back right under the horse's feet plenty of practice he went on repeating all the time that alice was getting him on his feet again plenty of practice "'It's too ridiculous,' cried Alice, losing all her patience this time. "'You ought to have a wooden horse on wheels, that yawn. "'Does that kind go smoothly?' the knight asked in a tone of great interest, clasping his arms around the horse's neck as he spoke, just in time to save himself from tumbling off again. <laughs> "'Much more smoothly than a live horse,' Alice said, with a little scream of laughter, in spite of all she could do to perfect it. "'I'll get one,' the knight said thoughtfully to himself.' one or two several there was a short silence after this and then the night went on again I'm a great hand at inventing things now I dare say you noticed the last time you picked me up that I was looking rather thoughtful you were a little grave said Alice wow just then I was inventing a new way of getting over again would you like to hear it very much indeed Alice said politely I'll tell you how I came to think of it said the knight. You see, I said to myself, the only difficulty is with the feet. The head is high enough already. Now, first I put my head on top of the gate, and then the head's high enough, and then I stand on my head, then the feet are high enough, you see. Then I'm over, you see. Yes, suppose you'd be over when that was done, Alice said thoughtfully. But don't you think it would be rather hard? I haven't tried it yet, the knight said gravely, so I can't for certain but I'm afraid it would be a little hard. He looked so vexed at the idea that Alice changed the subject hastily. "'What a curious helmet you've got,' she said cheerfully. "'Is that your invention, too?' The knight looked down proudly at his helmet, which hung from the saddle. "'Yes,' he said. "'But I've invented a better one than that, like a sugar loaf. When I used to wear it, if I fell off the horse, it always touched the ground directly, so I had a very little way to fall, you see.' there was the danger of falling into it to be sure that happened to me once and the worst of it all was before I could get out again the other white knight came and put it on he thought it was his own helmet the knight looked so solemn about it that Dallas did not dare to laugh I'm afraid you must have heard him she said in a trembling voice being on the top of his own head I had to kick him of course the knight said very seriously and then he took off the helmet off again But it took hours and hours to get me out. I was as fast as… as lightning, you know?" That's a different kind of fastness, Alice objected. The knight shook his head. It was all kinds of fastness with me, I can assure you, he said. He raised his hands in some excitement as he said this, and instantly rolled out of the saddle, and fell headlong into a deep ditch. Alice ran to the side of the ditch to look for him. She was rather startled by the fall as for some time he had kept on very well. She was afraid that he really was hurt this time. However, though she could see nothing but the soles of his feet, she was very much relieved to hear that he was talking on in his usual tongue. All kinds of fastness, he repeated, but it was careless of him to put another man's helmet on, especially with the man inside it. Couldn't you go on talking so quietly, head downwards, Alice asked, as she dragged him out by the feet and led him in a heap on the bank knight looked surprised at this question. What does it matter where my body happens to be? My mind goes on working all the same. In fact, the more head downwards I am, the more I keep inventing new things. Now, that's the cleverest thing of the sort I ever did, he went on with a pause, was inventing a new pudding during the meat course. In time to have it cooked for the next course, said Alice. Well, that was quick work, certainly. Well, not the next day, the night repeated as before. Not the next day. In fact, he went on, holding his head down and his voice getting lower and lower. I don't believe that pudding ever was cooked. In fact, I don't even believe that pudding ever will be cooked. And yet, it was a very clever pudding to invent. What did you mean it to be made of? Alice asked, hoping to cheer him up. For the poor knight seemed quite low-spirited about it. It began with blotting paper knight answered with a groan. That wouldn't be very nice, I'm afraid. No, not very nice alone, he interrupted quite early. But you've had I'd no idea what a difference it makes mixing it with other things, such as gunpowder and sealing wax. And here, I must leave you. They had just come to the end of the wood. Alice could only look puzzled. She was thinking of the pudding. You're sad, the knight said in an anxious tone. Let me sing you a song to comfort you. Is it very long? Alice asked. For she had heard a good deal of poetry already that day. It's long, but it's very, very beautiful. Everybody that hears me sing it, either it brings the tears into their eyes or else... Or else what? said Alice, for the night had made a sudden pause. Or else it doesn't. You know, the name of the song is called Haddock's Eyes. Oh, that's the name of the song, is it? Alice said trying to feel interested no you you don't understand the knight said looking a little vexed that's what the name is called the name really is the aged aged man then I ought to have said that's what the song is called Alice corrected herself no you oughtn't that's quite another thing the song is called ways and means that's only what it's called you know well what is the song called said Alice who was by this time getting completely bewildered. "'I was coming to that,' the knight said. "'The song really is, is sitting on a gate, "'and the tune's my own invention.'" So saying, he stopped his horse and let the reins fall on its neck, then slowly beating time with one hand and with a faint smile lighting up his gentle, foolish face, as if he enjoyed the music of his song, he began. Of all the strange things that Alice saw on her journey through the looking-glass, This was the one that she always remembered most clearly. Years afterwards she could bring the whole scene back again as if it had only been yesterday. The mild blue eyes and the kindly smile of the night. The setting sun gleaming through his hair and shining on his armour in a blaze of light that quite dazzled her. The horse quietly moving about with the reins hanging loose on his neck, cropping the grass at her feet, and the black shadows of the forest behind. All of this she took in like a picture, as, with one hand shading her eyes, she leant against a tree, watching the strange pair and listening in a half-dream till the mental calling music of the song. But the tune isn't his own invention, she said to herself. It's, I give thee all I can give no more. She stood and listened very attentively, but no tears came to her eyes. I'll tell thee everything I can, there's little to relate. I saw an aged, aged man, a sitting on again. Who are you, aged man, I said, and how is it that you live? And his answer trickled through my head like water through a sieve. He said I look for butterflies that sleep among the wheat. I make them into mutton pies and sell them in the street. I sell them onto men, he said, who sail on stormy seas. And that's the way I get my bread, a trifle, if you please. But I was thinking of a plan to dye one's whiskers green, and always use so large a fan that they could not be seen. So having no reply to give to what the old man said, I cried, come tell me how you live, and thumped him on the head. His accent's mild took up the tale. He said, I go my ways. And when I find a mountain rill, I set it on a blaze, And thence they make a stuff they call Rowland's musk oil. Yet yeah, two pence is all they give me for my toil. But I was thinking of a way to feed oneself on batter, and so go from day to day and get in a little fatter. I shook him well from side to side until his face was blue. Come tell me how you live, I cried. And what is it you do? He said I hunt for haddock's eyes among the heather bright, and work them into waistcoat buttons in the silent night. On these I do not sell for gold or coin of silvery shine, but for a copper happening, and that will purchase nine. I sometimes dig for buttered rolls or set lime twigs for crabs i sometimes search for grassy knolls for wheels of handsome cabs and that's the way he gave a wink by which i get my wealth and very gladly will i drink your honor's noble health i heard him then for i had just completed my design to keep the Menside bridge from rust by boil knit and wine i thanked him much for telling me the way he got his wealth but cheerfully for his wish that he might drink my noble health. And now if e'er I get a chance, I put my fingers into glue, or madly squeeze a right-hand foot in a left-handed shoe. Or if I drop upon my toe a very heavy weight, I weep for it reminds me so, that old man I used to know. Whose look was mild, whose speech was slow, whose hair was whiter than the snow, whose face was very like a crow, with eyes like cinders all aglow. He seemed distracted with his woe, who rocked his body to and fro, and muttered mummingly and low, as if his mouth were full of dough, He snorted like a buffalo, that summer evening long ago, is sitting on again. As the knight sang the last words of the ballad, he gathered up the reins, and turned his horse's head along the road by which they'd come. "'You've only a few yards to go,' he said, "'down the hill and over that little brook, "'and then you'll be a queen.' "'but then you'll stay and see me off first,' he added, "'as Alice turned with an eager look "'in the direction to which he pointed. "'I shan't be long. "'You wait and wave your handkerchief "'when I get to that turn of the road. "'I think it'll encourage me, you see.' "'Of course I'll wait,' said Alice, "'and thank you very much for coming so far. "'For the song, "'I liked it very much.' "'I hope so,' the knight said doubtfully. "'But you didn't cry so much as I thought you would.' "'So they shook hands,' and then the knight rode slowly away into the forest. It won't take long to see him off, I expect, Alice said to herself as she stood watching him. And there he goes, right on his head as usual. However, he gets on again pretty easily. That comes of having so many things hung about the horse. So she went on talking to herself as she watched the horse walking leisurely down the road. And the knight tumbling off, first to one side and then the other. After the fourth or fifth tumble, he reached the turn, and then she waved her handkerchief to him and waited till he was out of sight. I hope that encouraged him, she said, as she turned her run down the hill. And now for the last brook, and to be a queen. How grand it sounds. A very few steps brought her to the edge of the brook. The eighth square at last, she cried as she banded across, and threw herself down to rest on a lawn as soft as moss. The little flower beds dotted about it here and there oh how glad i am to get here and what is this on my head she exclaimed in a tone of dismay she put her hands up to something very heavy that fitted tight all around her head But how can it have got here without my knowing it she said she lifted it off and set it on her lap to make out what it could possibly be it was a golden cry chapter nine queen Alice. Well, this is grand, said Alice. I never expected I should be a queen so soon. And I'll tell you what it is, your majesty, she went on in a severe tone. She was always rather fond of scolding herself. It'll never do for you to be just lolling on the grass like that. Queens have to be dignified, you know. So she got up and walked about, rather stiffly just at first, as she was afraid that the crown might come off. But she comforted herself with the thought that there was nobody to see her if I really am a queen, she said as she sat down again, I shall be able to manage it quite well in time. Everything was happening so oddly that she didn't feel a bit surprised at finding the Red Queen and the White Queen sitting so close to her, one on each side. She would have liked very much to ask them how they came here, but she feared it might not be quite so civil. However, there would be no harm, she thought, in asking if the game was over. Please, would you tell me, she began, looking timidly at the Red Queen. "'Speak when you've spoken to,' Queen sharply reminded her. "'But if everybody obeyed that rule,' said Alice, who was always ready for a little argument, "'and if you only spoke when you were spoken to, "'and the other person always waited for you to begin, "'you see, nobody would ever say anything. "'So that ridiculous,' cried the Queen. "'Why, don't you see, child?' Here, she broke off with a frown, "'and after thinking for a minute, "'suddenly changed the subject of the conversation.' What do you mean by, if you're really a queen? What right have you to call yourself so? You can't be a queen, you know, till you've passed the proper examination. And the sooner we begin it, the better. I only said if, Alice pleaded in a piteous tone. The two queens looked at each other, and the Red Queen remarked with a little shudder. She says she only said if. But she said a great deal more than that, the White Queen moaned, wringing her hands. Oh, ever so much more than that. So you did, you know, the Red Queen said to Alice. Always speak the truth. Think before you speak, and write it down afterwards. I'm sure I didn't mean... Alice was beginning, but the Red Queen interrupted her impatiently. That's just what I complain of. You should have meant... What do you suppose is the use of a child without any meaning? Even a joke should have some meaning, and a child is more important than a joke. I hope. You couldn't deny that, even if you tried with both hands. I didn't deny anything with my hands, Alice objected. And nobody said that you did, said the Red Queen. I said you couldn't if you tried. She's in that state of mind, said the White Queen, that she wants to deny something, only she doesn't know what to deny. And now, Steve, vicious temper, the Red Queen remarked. And then there was an uncomfortable silence for a minute or two. The Red Queen broke the silence by saying to the White Queen... I invite you to Alice's dinner party this afternoon. The White Queen smiled feebly and said, And I shall invite you. I didn't think I was to have a party at all, said Alice, but if there is to be one, I think I ought to invite the guests. We gave the opportunity of doing it, the Red Queen remarked, but I dare say you haven't had any lessons in manners yet. Manners are not taught in lessons, said Alice. Lessons teach you to do the sums and things of that sort. Can you do addition? the White Queen asked. What's one and 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 one? I don't know, said Alice. I lost count. She can't do addition, the Red Queen interrupted. Can you do subtraction? Take nine from eight. Nine from eight I can't, you know, Alice replied very readily. But she can't do subtraction, said the White Queen. Well, what about division? Divide a loaf by a knife. What's the answer to that? I suppose Alice was beginning, but the Red Queen answered for her. Bread and butter, of course. Try another subtraction, son. Take a bone from a dog. What remains? Alice considered. The bone wouldn't remain, of course, if I took it. And the dog wouldn't remain. It would come to bite me, and I'm sure I shouldn't remain. Then you think nothing would remain, said the Red Queen. I think that's the answer. Wrong as usual, said the Red Queen. The dog's temper would remain. But I don't see how... Why? Look here, the Red Queen cried. The dog would lose his temper, wouldn't it? Perhaps it would, Alice replied cautiously. Then if the dog went away, its temper would remain, the Queen exclaimed triumphantly. Alice said as gravely as she could, They might go different ways. But she couldn't help thinking to herself... What dreadful nonsense we are talking. She can't do sums a bit, the Queen said together with great emphasis. Can you do sums, Alice said, turning suddenly on the White Queen, for she didn't like being found fault with so much. The Queen gasped and shut her eyes. I can do addition, she said, if you give me time, but I can't do subtraction under any circumstances. Of course you know your ABC, said the Red Queen. To be sure I do, said Alice. So do I, the White Queen whispered. We often said together, dear, and I'll tell you a secret. I can read words of one letter. Isn't that grand? However, don't be discouraged. You'll come to it in time. Here, the Red Queen began again. Can you answer useful questions? How was bread made? I know that, Alice cried eagerly. You take some flour. Where do you pick the flour? White Queen asked. In the garden or in the hedges? Well, It isn't picked at all, Alice explained. It's ground. How many acres of ground, said the White Queen? You mustn't leave out so many things. Fan her head, the Red Queen anxiously interrupted. She'll be feverish after so much thinking. So they set to work and fanned her with bunches of leaves till she had to beg them to leave off. It blew her hair about so. She's all right again now, said the Red Queen. Do you know languages? What's the French for fiddle-dee-dee? Fiddley-Dee's not English, Alice replied gravely. Whoever said it was, said the Red Queen. Alice thought she saw a way out of the difficulty this time. If you tell me what the language fiddledy dee is, I can tell you the French for it, she exclaimed triumphantly. But the Red Queen drew herself up rather stiffly and said, Queens never make bargains. I wish queens never ask questions, Alice thought to herself. Don't let us quarrel, the White Queen said in an anxious tongue. What's the cause of lightning?" The cause of lightning, Alice said very decidedly, for she felt quite certain about this, is the thunder. No, no, she hastily corrected herself, I meant it the other way. It's too late to correct it, said the Red Queen. When you've once said a thing that fixes it, you must take the consequences. Which reminds me, the White Queen said, looking down and nervously clasping and unclasping her hands. We had such a thunderstorm last Tuesday. I mean, one of the last set of Tuesdays, you know. Alice was puzzled. In our country, she remarked, there's only one day at a time. The Red Queen said, it's a person way of doing things. Now here, we mostly have days and nights, two or three at a time. Sometimes in the winter, we take as many as five nights together. For warmth, you know. Are five nights warmer than one night, then? Alice ventured to ask. Five times as warm, of course. But they should be five times as cold by the same rule. Just so, cried the Red Queen. Five times as warm and five times as cold. Just as I'm five times as rich as you are and five times as clever. Alice sighed and gave it up. It's exactly like a riddle with no answer, she thought. Humpty Dumpty saw it too, the White Queen went on in a low voice, more as if she were talking to herself. He came to the door with a corkscrew in his hand. What did he want? said the Red Queen. He said he would come in, the White Queen went on, because he was looking for a hippopotamus. Now, as it happened, there wasn't such a thing in the house that morning. Is there generally? Alice asked in an astonished tone. Well, only on Thursday, said the Queen. I know what it came for, said Alice. He wanted to punish the fish because... Here the White Queen began again. It was such a thunderstorm, you can't think. She never could, you know, said the Red Queen. And part of the roof came off and never so much thunder got in. And I went rolling around the room in great lumps and knocking over the tables and things till I was so frightened I couldn't remember my own name. Alice thought to herself, I should try to remember my name in the middle of an accident. What would be the use of it, though? But she did not say this aloud for fear of hurting the poor Queen's feelings. Your Majesty must excuse her, the Red Queen said to Alice, taking one of the White Queen's hands in her own, gently stroking it. She means well, but she can't help but say foolish things as a general rule. The White Queen looked timidly at Alice, as she felt she ought to say something kind, but really couldn't think of anything in the moment. She never was really well brought up, said the Red Queen, but it's amazing how good-tempered she is. Pat her on the head and see how pleased she'd be. But this was more than Alice had courage to do. A little kindness and putting her hair in papers would do wonders with her, the White Queen gave a deep sigh and led her head on Alice's shoulder. I am so sleepy, she moaned. She's tired, poor thing, said the Red Queen. Smooth her hair. Lend her your nightcap. Sing her a soothing lullaby. I haven't got my cat with me, said Alice, as she tried to obey the first direction. And I don't know any soothing lullabies. I must do it myself then, said the Red Queen, and she began hush a lady in Alice's lap Till the feast's ready, we've time for a nap When the feast's over, we'll go to the ball The Red Queen and White Queen and Alice and all And now you know the words, she added As she put her head down on Alice's other shoulder Just sing it though to me, I'm getting sleepy too In another moment, both queens were fast asleep and snoring loud What am I to do, exclaimed Alice, looking about in great perplexity, as first one round head, then the other, rolled down from her shoulder and lay on a heavy lump in her lap. I don't think it ever happened before that anyone had to take our two queens asleep at once. Not in the history of England. I couldn't, you know, because there was never more than one queen at a time. Do wake up, you heavy things, she went on in an impatient tone, but there was no answer but a gentle snoring. The snoring got more distinct every minute and sounded more like a tune. The last, when she could even make out the words and she listened so eagerly that when the two heads suddenly vanished from her lap, she hardly missed them. She was standing before an arched doorway, over which the words Queen Alice in large letters and on each side of the arch there was a bell handle. One marked visitor's bell and the other marked servant's bell. I'll wait till the song's over, thought Alice, and then I'll ring the... "'The... which bell must I ring?' she went on, "'very much puzzled by the names. "'I'm not a visitor, and I'm not a servant. "'There ought to be one more queen, you know.' "'Just then the door opened a little way, "'and a creature with a long beak "'put its head out for a moment and said, "'No admittance till the week after next,' "'and shut the door again with a bang. "'Alice knocked and rang in vain for a long time, "'but at last a very old frog was sitting under a tree.' "'got up and hobbled slowly towards her. "'He was dressed in bright yellow and had enormous boots on. "'What is it now?' frog said in a deep, hoarse whisper. "'Alice turned round, ready to find fault with anybody. "'Where's the servant whose business it is to answer the door?' "'She began angrily. "'Which door?' said the frog. "'Alice almost stamped with irritation at the slow drawl in which he spoke. "'This door, of course.' The frog looked at the door with his large, dull eyes for a minute. Then he went near and rubbed it with his thumb, as if he were trying whether the paint would come off. Then he looked at Alice. To answer the door, he said. What's it been asking? He was so hoarse that Alice could scarcely hear him. I don't know what you mean, she said. I speaks English, doesn't I? The frog went on. Or are you deaf? What did it ask you? Nothing, Alice said impatiently. "'I've been knocking at it.' "'Shouldn't do that. "'Shouldn't do that,' the frog muttered. Waxes is it, you know.' "'Then it went up and gave the door a kick "'with one of his great feet. "'You let it alone,' he panted out, "'as he hobbled back to his tree. "'And it'll let you alone, you know.' "'At this moment the door was flung open, "'and a shrill voice was heard singing. "'To the looking-glass world it was Alice that said, "'I've a scepter in hand, I've a crown on my head.' At the looking glass creatures, whatever they may, be. Come and dine with the Red Queen, the White Queen, and me. And hundreds of voices joined in the chorus. Then fill up the glasses as quick as you can, and sprinkle the table with buttons and bran. Put cats in the coffee and the mice in the tea, and welcome Queen Alice, thirty times three. Then followed a confused noise of cheering, and Alice thought to herself, Thirty times three makes ninety. I wonder if anyone's counting. In a minute, there was silence again, and the same voice sang another verse. O looking class creatures, Alice, draw near. Tis an honour to see me, a favour to hear, 'tis a privilege high to have dinner and tea, along with the Red Queen, the White Queen, and me. Then came the chorus again. Then fill up the glasses with treacle and ink, or anything else that is pleasant to drink. Mix sand with the cider and wool with the wine, and welcome Queen Alice, ninety times nine. Ninety times nine? Alice repeated in despair. Oh, that'll never be done. Better go in at once. And then she went. There was a dead silence the moment she appeared. Alice glanced nervously along the table as she walked up the large hall and noticed that there were about fifty guests, of all kinds. Some were animals, some birds, and there were even a few flowers among them. I'm glad they've come without waiting to be asked, she thought. "I should never have known who were the right people to invite. There were three chairs at the end of the table. The red and white queens had already taken two of them, but the middle one was empty. Alice sat down in it, rather uncomfortable at the silence, and longing for someone to speak. At last the red queen began, You missed the soup and fish, she said. Put on the joint. And the waiters sat a leg of mutton before Alice, who looked at it rather anxiously. She'd never had to carve a joint before. You look a little shy. Let me introduce you to that leg of mutton, said the Red Queen. Alice, mutton. Mutton, Alice. The leg of mutton got up in the dish and made a little bow to Alice, and Alice returned the bow, not knowing whether to be frightened or amused. May I give you a slice, she said, taking up the knife and fork and looking from one queen to the other. Certainly not, the Red Queen said very decidedly. It isn't etiquette to cut anyone you've been introduced to. Remove the joint. And the waiters carried it off and brought a large plum pudding in its place. I won't be introduced to the pudding, please, Alice said rather hastily, or we shall get no dinner at all. May I give you some? But the Red Queen looked sulkily and growled, Pudding, Alice, Alice, pudding. Remove the pudding. And the waiters took it away so quickly that Alice couldn't return its pie. However, she didn't wait to see why the Red Queen should be the only one to give orders. So as an experiment, she called out, Waiter, bring back the pudding. And there it was again in a moment, like a conjuring trick. It was so large that she couldn't help feeling a little shy with it, as she'd been with the mutton. However, she conquered her shyness by great effort, cut a slice and handed it to the Red Queen. "What impertinence!" said the pudding. wonder how you'd like it if I were to cut a slice of you, creature. It spoke in a thick, sweaty sort of voice, and Alice had no word to say in reply. she could only sit and look at it and gasp. Make a remark, said the Red Queen. It's ridiculous to leave all the conversation to the pudding. Do you know, I've had such a quantity of poetry repeated to me today, Alice began, a little frightened at finding that the moment she opened her lips there was dead silence and all eyes were fixed upon her. And it's a very curious feeling, I think. Every poem was about fish in some way. Do you know why they're so fond of fish, all about here? She spoke to the Red Queen, whose answer was a little wide of the mark. As to fishes, she said, very slowly and solemnly, putting her mouth close to Alice's ear. Her White Majesty knows a lovely riddle. All in poetry. All about fish. Shall she repeat it? I Red majesty's very kind to mention it, the White Queen murmured in Alice's other ear, in a voice like the cooing of a pigeon. It will be such a treat. May I? Please do, Alice said very politely. The White Queen laughed with delight and stroked Alice's cheek, and then she began. First, the fish must be caught. That is easy. A baby, I think, could have caught it. Next, the fish must be bought. That is easy. A penny, I think, would have bought it. But cook me the fish, that is easy, and will not take more than a minute. Let it lie in a dish, that is easy, because it's already in it. Bring it here, let me sup. It is easy to set such a dish on the table. Take the dish cover up, ah, that is so hard that I fear I am unable. For it holds like a glue, holds the lid to the dish while it lies in the middle, which is easiest to do, undish cover the fish or dish cover the riddle take a minute to think about it, and then guess, said the Red Queen. Meanwhile, we'll drink your health. Queen Alice's health, she screamed at the top of her voice, and all of the guests began drinking it directly, and very queerly they managed it. Some of them put their glasses upon their heads like extinguishers, and drank all the trickle down their faces. Others upset the decanters, and drank the wines that ran off the t- edges of the table. And three of them, who looked like kangaroos, scrambled into the dish of the roast mutton and began eagerly lapping up the gravy. Just like pigs in a trough, thought Alice. You ought to return thanks in a neat speech, the Red Queen said, frowning at Alice as she spoke. We must support you, you know, the White Queen whispered as Alice got up to do it, very obediently, but a little frightened. Thank you very much, she whispered in reply, but I can do quite well without. That wouldn't be at all the thing, the Red Queen said very decidedly. "'so Alice thought to submit to it with a good grace. "'And they did push so,' she said afterwards "'when she was telling her sister the history of the feast. "'You would have thought they wanted to squeeze me flat. "'In fact, it was rather difficult for her to keep her place "'while she made her speech. "'The two queens pushed her so, one on each side, "'that they very nearly lifted her up into the air. "'I rise to return, thanks,' Alice began. "'And she really did rise as she spoke. "'Several inches.' she got hold of the edge of the table and managed to pull herself down again. "'Take care of yourself,' screamed the White Queen, seizing Alice's hair with both hands. "'Something's going to happen!' And then, as Alice afterwards described it, all sorts of things happened in a moment. The candles all grew up to the ceiling, looking something like a bed of rushes with fireworks at the top. As to the bottles, they each took a pair of plates, which they hastily fitted on as wings, and so, with forks for legs, went fluttering about in all directions. Very like birds they look, Alice thought to herself, as well as she could in the dreadful confusion that was beginning. At this moment she heard a hoarse laugh by her side, and turned to see what was the matter with the White Queen. Instead of the Queen, there was the leg of mutton sitting in the chair. Here I am, cried a voice from atop the soup tureen, and Alice turned again just in time to see the Queen's broad, good-natured face grinning at her for a moment over the edge of the terrain, before she disappeared into the soup. There was not a moment to be lost. Already several of the guests were lying in the dishes, and the soup ladle was walking up the table towards Alice's chair, and beckoning at her impatiently to get out of the way. I can't stand this any longer, she cried, as she jumped up and seized the tablecloth with both hands, one pull, Plates and dishes and guests and candles came crashing down together in a heap on the floor. As for you, she went on, turning fiercely upon the Red Queen, whom she considered as the cause of all of the mischief. The Queen was no longer at her side. She had suddenly dwindled down to the size of a small doll, and was now on the table, merrily running round and round after her own shawl, which was trailing behind her. At any other time, Alice would have felt surprised at this she was far too much excited to be surprised at anything now. "'As for you,' she repeated, catching hold of the little creature in the very act of jumping over a bottle which had just lighted upon the table, "'I shall shake you into the kitten. That I will.'" Chapter 10 Shaking She took her off the table as she spoke, and shook her backwards and forwards with all of her might. The Red Queen made no resistance whatsoever, only her face grew very small, Her eyes got large and green, and still, as Alice went on shaking her, she kept on growing shorter, and fatter, and softer, and rounder, and... Chapter 11. Waking. And it really was a kitten, after all. (laughs) Chapter 12. Which Dreamed It Your Red Majesty shouldn't purse a lad, Alice said rubbing her eyes and addressing the kitten, respectfully, yet with some severity. You woke me out of, oh, such a nice dream. And you've been along with me, dear kitty, all through the looking-glass world. Did you know it, dear? It's a very inconvenient habit of kittens, Alice had once made the remark, that whenever you say it to them, they always purr. If only they would purr for yes and meow for no, or any rule of that sort, she'd said, so that one could always keep the conversation. But how can you talk with a person if they always say the same thing? Only this occasion the kitten only purred, and it was impossible to guess whether it meant yes or no. So Alice hunted among the chessmen on the table till she found the Red Queen. Then she went down on her knees on the hearthrug and put the kitten and the queen to look at each other. Now, kitty, she cried, clapping her hands triumphantly. Confess that was what you turned into. But it wouldn't look at it, she said when she was explaining the thing afterwards to her sister. It turned away its head, pretended not to see it, but it did look a little ashamed of itself, so I think it must have been the Red Queen. Set up a little more stiffly, dear, Alice cried with a merry laugh, and curtsy when you're thinking what the... what... her. It's his time, remember? And she caught it up and gave it one little kiss. Just in honour of it having been a Red Queen. Snowdrop, my pet she went on, looking over her shoulder at the white kitten, which was sitting patiently undergoing its toilet. When will Dina finish with your majesty, I wonder? That must be the reason you were so untidy in my dream. Dina, did you know you were scrubbing a white queen? Really, it's most disrespectful of you. What did Dina turn into, I wonder? She prattled on as she settled comfortably down with one elbow on the rug and her chin on her hand to watch the kittens. Tell me, Dina, did you turn into Humpty Dumpty? I think you did. However, you better not mention it to your friends just yet, for I'm not sure. By the way, Kitty, if only you'd been really with me in my dream. There's one thing you would have enjoyed. I had such a quantity of poetry said to me, all about fish. Tomorrow morning, you shall have a real treat. All the time you're eating your breakfast, I'll repeat the walrus and the carpenter to you. And then you can make believe it's oysters, dear. Kitty, let's consider who it was that dreamed it all. This is a serious question, my dear, and you should not go on licking your paw like that. As if Dina hadn't washed you this morning. You see, Kitty, it must have either been me or the Red King. He was part of my dream, of course. But then I was part of his dream, too. Was it the Red King? You are his wife, my dear, so you ought to know. Oh, Kitty, do help to settle it. I'm sure your paw can wait. But the provoking kitten only began on the other paw and pretended that I hadn't heard the question. So which do you think it was? A boat beneath the sunny sky, lingering onward dreamily in an evening of July. Children three that nestle near, eager eye and willing ear, pleased a simple till to hear. Long has paled that sunny sky, echoes fade and memories die, autumn frosts have slain July. Still, she haunts me, phantom-wise, Alice moving under skies, never seen by waking eyes. Children yet, a tale to hear, eager eye and willing ear, lovingly shall nestle near. In a wonderland I lie, dreaming as the days go by. Dreaming as the summers die. Ever drifting down the stream. Lingering in the golden gleam. Life. What is it? But a dream. The end. Hmm. Okay. Well, there's no notes here. I'm a little disappointed. Generally thought there'd be something here that... Did... Did you hear that? That's coming from the music room. That panel. That was never loose before. Is that a hidden safe? There's a note here. It's... It's my uncle's handwriting. And it's addressed to me.